That is good. That is so good. Aren't those words good? They're good. Well, I'm Brooklyn, and I'm so excited that I get to be with you here this morning. Um, that song that you heard, Break the Cycle, it's a, it's a group called You Plus Me. Maybe you've heard of them before. Pink is the one that kind of organized this group, and these are the words that she wrote. But I like to take the words that people write and, and reclaim them when they're true. And I like to think that God speaks these words over us, that he speaks the words directly into your soul, into your heart. And maybe this morning you didn't come here to be directly spoken to, but God is speaking to you. God is saying, tell me the words that you long to hear. He's not saying, look at your Twitter feed for what you need to hear. He's saying, tell me the words that you long to hear, and I will sing them loud and clear. Let me heal the wounds that you've held onto for all of these years. Break the cycle. Break the chains. Because love is louder than all your pain. Jesus says that over us this morning. Even when you walk through the memories of your past and you, he- you hold hands with the child version of yourself and you see that there's nothing you can do to change what has happened to you, what has happened because of you, what has happened directly as a result of people oppressing you. We can't change any of it, but God calls us to say, tell me, tell me the words that you long to hear and I will sing them to you and I will sing a new truth into your life. Let me heal the wounds that you've held on to for all these years, and I'll break that cycle for you. I look back into my own life, and I think, how can can my life be so good right now when I've come from such a hot mess? I still have a huge hot mess in Ohio. I live in Florida. There's a reason why. (laughs) Some of you know why you went so far away from home to come to this place. You know that that mess is something that you don't want to speak into your future, but Jesus says there's something new. But it's hard. It's difficult. I was going to a developing country a few months ago, and I was walking with kids and families to their water source. Their well had been broken for months. And as I walked, and as I grew tired, and as I saw the spot where they draw water, the place where they get in line to fight for a spot to get the good water, because when that water is gone, this dirty water is what's left. And I think, God, how does this happen? How do people come to a place and drink this and know they're going to get sick and know they're going to die and still have to continue in it? God, why? And we cry out, both for ourselves and our past and both for the people we see around us in the world and in the future, we say, why? God, why? And the reality is that there are cycles in your life. There are cycles that you're holding on to right now that shouldn't be. That God wants to replace with the stories that were always meant to be, but it's so scary. And we look around us. We look to Long Island. Or we look in our own school. We look at our own indifferences. We look at all these things and we think, wow, there are these cycles that just shouldn't be. But we don't know what to do. Because passively accepting them seems easier than actively resisting them. It's hard to resist something, but we forgot how to fight. We forgot that we're the church. We forgot that it's our birthright. When Jesus came in Luke 4, and he comes from this time of fasting in the desert, and he says, this is what I'm here to do. I come to set people free, to relieve sight, to deliver the oppressed. This is what I'm here for. I'm here to bring the change that God had always meant to be all along. But we forget it's our birthright and we accept it. And I, and I think about how, 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 do we, how do we bring this home right now, right where you are? And, and the best illustration I can think of is, has to do with our family. I, I got married at, at 19 years old. Yeah, oops. No, it wasn't oops. I totally did on purpose. 
Like, we totally did on purpose, and we didn't have children for nine years later, so don't even try to do that math. Um, So we got married at 19, and I know it's totally anachronistic to get married at 19. It just doesn't seem right in the history of things for you to do that first, to get married when you have all this life to live and all these choices to make. But we decided we were going to get married. And because we set ourselves in motion in this unconventional way, we began to make decisions that were non-traditional. So when I became pregnant and we decided we were going to have a family, I had already been working and so had my husband. And he said, you know, God's anointing is on you. And if his anointing is on you, then his anointing is on me. And there's no reason why you need to stop in ministry doing what you're doing. Why don't I stay home with Kira? And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? All this work that you've done in grad school and all the time that you've spent preparing for your career? And he said, yeah, because, because your success is my success. We're one. And I said, okay, cool. But I didn't know it was a totally weird thing for people. Like, that's just weird sometimes. And so what happens when you have a baby is babies do what babies do. They do this cycle. It's a vicious cycle. They eat, they sleep, and they poop all the time. And, in, and sometimes in different orders, don't let it surprise you. It will, it will surprise you, actually. They will just, you know sleep and think there's nothing left in them because they pooped before they slept, but then they'll wake up and poop again. And you're like, where is it coming from? Like their child is small. So, so my husband had to learn all these ways. And, and I will be honest and tell you, I had no idea how to deal with any of this any better than he did, but he had to learn because he was at home. The basketball player in college, the, the jock, the smart guy, the career guy was at home with that cycle. And so because of that cycle and his man brain, he was like, we we're going to figure out when our babies are ready to be potty trained. I'm going to be like watching for potty training preparedness every day. And I'm like, okay, babe, she's seven months old. <laughs> like, like diapers are going to be a thing for us for a little while. And he's like, no, I'm going to know when they're ready. And so he would always point out these little signs. And one of the first signs, you know, when a kid is ready to break the cycle of the diaper is when they're just standing, staring off into outer space because they realize something's going on, that it's happening in them. And it's feeling weird, and they never really noticed it before, and then they notice it. And so they just stare, and you're like, why, why is Kira staring? And Koi's like, That's, she's ready. She, she knows what's happening. And I'm like, she's not bad. And he's like, yeah, but she knows it feels bad, and it smells bad. She's starting to think about it. And I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. Then he started to say, but there's another way we're going to be able to tell, because I saw it happen last weekend at our friend's house. I'm like, what? And this is what he told me. He's like, Johnny was chilling with all the kids, and then he disappeared. And I'm like, well, that happens. They play hide and seek. He's like, no, he wasn't hiding and seeking. He was just hiding. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, we went looking for him. We're like, Johnny, where are you? They find him behind some plant, you know, plant, like kids hide behind things that don't actually hide them, but they think no one can see them. So they're like hiding, like nothing's there. So we find Johnny and what is he doing? He's crouched over, his face is red, his eyes are bulging. We're starting to get the whiff of this. You know what's happening, right? Not only is he aware of the hot, heavy load that's happening right there next to his skin, but he is also very aware that it's embarrassing, Like now, not only do I want to do this in my thing, but I don't want to do it in front of you because I'm going to have to walk around and jump on a trampoline in this. And I really don't want you to know what's in here. And so Koi decided when that happens with Kira, I'm training her and I'm like, okay, just chill. She's 11 months old. So when it happened, when she hid and pooped, hiding and pooping, very, very serious issue in my house now. He was like, she's hiding. And I'm like, oh no, this is where it all begins. So he started his training and I'll tell you all the ways that he tried to potty train our kids. And this is not like a man thing. This is just a normal thing because you lose your mind when things are all over the floor that shouldn't be on the floor. So, so 
So the first thing he did was he got a video, which is kind of my idea because I did the mom research. Like, oh, this little video has like four stars or whatever. So we got this train video and a wooden train whistle. How weird is that? So we're like blowing this whistle thinking it's going to like Pavlov dog situation on my kid. Like, okay, when I blow this whistle, you're going to pee. Like, no, that doesn't ha- it's not how it worked. It did not work. Then we tried really high level um, forms of bribery. Like, if you pee in the potty, I will give you all of the ice cream in the whole world. Like, they, they, they're like, okay, and they just sit there, and they don't do anything. The next thing, I come in, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, maybe we can just teach them to aim. I'm like, babe, they're girls. Like, that, no. No, okay. So, next thing, he takes the Stitch doll. You guys, Disney fans, I don't know. But the Stitch doll, he puts underpants on the Stitch doll, puts junk in the pants, like Cheerios, all kinds of junk, and starts dropping it out into the toilet. I'm like, you are insane. This, this level of potty training has just reached like a place that I will never ever share with the world, except I do all the time. So, so he's starting to drop stuff into the toilet and Kira is like freaking out. It's so exciting. That was the day. Boom. It worked. It was like the genius thing. And I'm like, oh, you are a God. Like you, you just did this. Um, so we're happily like proud parents of two successfully potty trained children. They're five and eight. <laughs> no, it didn't take that long. Sometimes they still, anyway. Um, so yeah. So, so the, the reality is though, you know, when, when you're watching your kids do this, one thing you know as a parent, you know that this cycle that's happening, they have no idea how to get out of it. They really don't have a clue. They have never been taught that that can go somewhere else, that you don't have to sit in it. You don't have to smell it. You don't have to rub it all over the wall. Like, there's really a lot of things you don't have to do with it. So... We have to teach them, I don't want that for my children. I don't want them to sit in those places, in those hot, heavy, messy, disgusting-ish places. No, I don't want that for them. And God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want you in your hot, heavy mess, your load, your situation. God doesn't want you to look around at the world and say, well, that's really crappy. And just leave it. Some of you are laughing because you get my humor. God doesn't want that for you. But it's tough to move beyond passive acceptance because we're uncomfortable with it, but we don't know how. And it seems harder to resist it. It seems like it would hurt more. But you can break the cycle. You can break it with active resistance. You can interrupt its momentum in your life. You can interrupt the momentum in the story that you see around you. You can stop its control. So no more passive acceptance, no more open wounds, no more missing pieces, no more silence, no more fear. It's time for you to take a stand and join the fight against the cycle in your life and to join the fight against the cycle that you see that shouldn't be. God has called you to be the church. I believe that you're the church. I quit my job to tell you that you're the church. Like I quit working for the church to tell you that you're the church. Because I believe that you are and that you are doing things that are changing the world, but you're working at a 50% level because your goals, you think they're 100%, but they're not. They're really just the thing that you think you can miss because you're afraid of what you might be able to do if you make a goal that's bigger than you. I am so certain of this, that you're changing the world and that I'm, I'm just here to support that. I'm here to tell you that. I'm, I'm here that you can sell your life out to that. My brother, he grew up playing baseball. He could pitch 93 miles an hour in the ninth grade. And he he will tell you something. He will tell you this. There are times in your life when you don't perform, when you don't give all that you can give because you're afraid. What might that look like? What might I have to sacrifice? But I can tell you this. When Jesus is involved, everything that you sacrifice is worth it. Every single thing. 
Grace Jones once said that a feeling doesn't feed a hungry person. That's why we have to feed, we have to turn our feelings into actions. So, so it's one thing to feel like something's broken. It's another thing to do something about it. A feeling of discontent won't stop the cycle of injustice in your life or any cycle of injustice that you see around you. And for many of you, you have your own cycles bearing down on you so heavy that you can't even imagine speaking into another cycle around you. And so I want to lift that burden this morning. I want to give you a spot to to imagine what it might be like to be free of that and to do something about the stories that shouldn't be in the world. This requires a strong force of interruption, and the Bible helps us discover it. Now, I don't want you to numb out to the thing that you're only out. Don't numb out to the thing that you're only out. This word is living and active and able to do so much more in you than you could ever think or imagine in your wildest dreams, but we numb out to it because we've heard it before. But what hasn't happened is we haven't opened it up in the belief, in the core of the unconscious belief, not this conscious desire that I want to do this, but an unconscious belief centered in the place that we've asked Jesus to put it. God, put this belief in me that you can do something greater in me and through me. And when you believe that, this word will change you and make you alive. You'll wake up to it. Don't numb out to the only out. This has been my out my entire life. And I I just think back to all those chapel services where I just numbed out because I was tired. You can sleep when you're dead. (laughs) So wake up. So by the time of Jesus' birth, cycles had built hundreds and hundreds of years of momentum. So imagine all the cycles in your own life. They've taken maybe a decade or two. But these cycles, when Jesus came onto the scene, they had been going for a long time. People are growing discontent. So in Mark chapter 2, you see a series of miracles and a series of moments where Jesus comes in and people are like, what? Who are you? Why do you do the, way, the things that you do the way that you do them? They wanted to know the why behind his actions because his, his actions didn't match up with their legalism. So in Mark chapter 2, he looks at the religious leaders. He's teaching them while a roof is being ripped off above his head, while college students are throwing their friend down to him because they understand that Jesus is the way. That he's not just this educational portal to get all of our checklists taken care of. He is the way. And so they do this and he sees them and the religious people say, why are you ignoring us when we were here first? Why are you doing this? Why are you healing someone you don't even know? And then he talks about the tax collectors. He's eating with sinners and people are like talking about these purity laws. They're bringing it up into um, chapter 15 or verse 15 through 17. He's talking about, you know, why do I eat with sinners? Because it's not the sick people who need a doctor. Or it's not the healthy people that need a doctor, it's the sick people, right? And they're like, no, but, but they're impure and they're going by this legalistic code, this cycle. And they're limited. They're not able to see Jesus because they can't understand how he fits into their cycle. And so I want to just read to you what these people are saying when Jesus and his disciples decide not to fast. So if you want to look at Mark chapter 2, this is where I'm heading. Mark chapter 2 verses um, 19 and 20, he starts to explain fasting when people say to him, why do John's disciples fast? Why do the religious leaders and Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. They want to know, why aren't you fitting into the cycle? Why aren't you fitting into the way of the world? Why aren't you doing what everyone else is doing? If you're the leader of our faith, why aren't you acting like it? And he tells them a a crazy story that's really hard to understand because we don't live in this time. And so I'm going to try to unpack it with you a little bit. You may already understand this story very, very well. And if you do, help each other to get it. So Mark chapter 2, 
These people are curious, and they're, they're like, how does, this, how does this story that you're telling, how does it relate to our feelings of discontent about the way you live? And so he starts explaining fasting to them. So chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he says, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new skins. Now, if I were standing there in that moment, I'd be like, what? What'd you say? I can't even tweet that. <laughs> like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Basically, what he did with their question is he said, I came to do something new. If people are fasting at a wedding, they're basically saying, I don't agree with this wedding celebration. They're, they're choosing a law over a person's heart. And Jesus is saying, I came to change the way. And so you don't put this untrunk cloth on a hole in your garment. Now, now I don't get this metaphor, this analogy, because we don't patch old clothes, we buy them with holes in them. So it doesn't work. Also, the wineskin thing, I don't know if I've ever seen one before or if I've seen wine before. No, I'm kidding. But in the Nazarene church, it's like, you know, how does, how do we, how do we, what do we do with this wine metaphor? So I'm just going to tell you a story. When I was at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, my husband and I, like I said, we got married young. So our biggest wedding gift was this old blue Corsica. Like, it was just awesome. It was, it was old. Like, that was the main thing. But we loved it because point A to point B, it's all that matters, right? Also, it didn't, like, mess with the gas. Like, it was like you could go forever. I don't know how. It just had the, this endless gas tank. Um, it was free. Um, we didn't have money. So it was, like, the perfect car until the crazy stuff started happening. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're driving around and, like, stab, things are stabbing you in the head, like the tax that you put up there so the ceiling wouldn't fall down. Nobody has those kind of cars? No, this is a rich place up in here. <laughs> you got Lexus. All that, Audis, no, you got the tax? Please tell me somebody has some tax in your ceiling. Okay, and then you get to that point where you're tired of getting stabbed in the head, so you rip the whole thing down, and now you've got foam on you, and you've got, it looks like dandruff every time you go anywhere. Okay, so we would have that, and then the, when it would rain really hard, and the water would come in everywhere, all the holes you didn't know were there, and it turns into an ice skating rink in the winter, like that kind of car? Nobody has that car? Nobody. Okay. All right, well, I had that car. So the blue Corsica, that was our car. And one day, we had studied all night long to like 5 a.m. for this big old thing that we didn't want to take, but we had to because that's part of life. So we got to college. We went there, turned off the car, got out, and he and I look at each other like, are we that messed up? Did we stay up that late that we still think the car's running still? And he's like, yeah, I think the car's running. And he's holding the keys in his hand. And I'm like, that's weird. Are we tripping? Because we just studied. Like, I don't know what's going on. So he gets in, he turns, puts the key back in, turns it off, turns it back on. It's still running. We're like, I don't, we have no idea what's going on. So we go up to Dr. Varghese. I sit down to take the test. And Coy, my husband's like, dude, man, our car is still running. And he was like, why don't you go turn it off? <laughs> like, you idiot. Take the test. And then he was like, no, you don't understand. The keys are in my hand. I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to run out of gas. And we'd have no money and no jobs. And you can't let this happen. <laughs> and so his professor nicely said, you know, just go down and figure it out, but come back and take your test. So he went and did what any good son would do. He calls his father and says, dude, my car's running. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And he said, okay, well, since I'm two hours away, I'm going to have to teach you 
something that I wish I didn't have to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to wire this car, like turn it on and off without a key. <laughs> Pretty cool information. So we technically know how to borrow cars, so just be careful. <laughs> so he turns it off, and his dad says, I'm going to help you fix the ignition sometime. Yeah, right. Like, dads do that when they have so much time. No, they don't have time. They can't help you fix your ignition when you know how to start it with a quarter. So we start our car with a quarter. We started it with a golf tee. We started it with what, your finger, but it would always hurt my nail and rip it off. So I started it with, like, whatever was in the car laying around. So for two years, I'm driving a car, like, wiring it underneath every morning. So this old blue, we graduate, we decide we're getting out of Ohio, we're moving to Florida. We move to Florida. My dad comes down and says, I want to go to a nice golf course. Coy, I want to take you to a great golf course. You're a good golfer. Let's go to Disney World and just do nine or 18 or whatever. And Coy's like, no, we can't. Do you know what kind of car I drive? And he was like, no, it'll be fine. We'll just park somewhere on the side. So they get up there to Disney and Coy sees this huge sign. You know what it says? Valet parking only. And he pulls up and he's thinking, no, there's no way. I'd have no keys for this car. And my dad's like, no, it's cool. It's cool. It'll be cool. It'll be cool. Just tell him, like, what to do. So Koi gets out and he's like, uh, man, like, it's so nice. I mean, people are, like, driving in, driving up in their convertibles, and it's nice. And, and we got the Corsica. It's like, like, it's jank. So we're sitting there. And, uh, and, and he's like, you know, I, it's kind of a weird thing, but I don't have keys for this. I'm going to have to show you how to, like, like, basically steal it, but don't steal it. Like, just... I'm just going to show you how, to, how it works. And, and then he was like, well, why would he ever steal this car? And then he realized, like, this is really dumb. So he was like, whatever. I just have to teach you how to do this. And the guy was like, I will do anything you want me to for the right amount of tip. And so my husband looks over to my dad and he's like, we'll hand it over because you're the one who made us come here. So, the, so he goes there. And then a week later, what happens? My dad, before he leaves, he looks at the car and he says, there is no tread. You know how dads just notice everything when they come around and then all of a sudden you've got like doctor's appointments and car appointments and everything else because they're thinking you're going to die. I know living is really cool, but sometimes we live with a lot less than he thinks I need. So we go to the car place to get new tires because he said I was going to die if I didn't do it today. So I went there, put new, new tires on the car, $400 that we didn't have. We had to like borrow it from my sister or something. I don't even know. We go out, we put our foot to the brake like you normally do when you turn on the car and it goes straight to the floor. So we go back in and, and we're like, hey, um, did you kind of mess with the brakes? And they were like, no, we didn't mess with the brakes. You messed with the brakes. Those things are rust, like rusted out. Did you live somewhere cold? And we're like, uh, forever, yeah. Um, so the brakes had rusted out, and that's when we realized something very important in life. You don't put new tires on a crappy old car. You don't. Like, it's dumb. Don't do it. So we, so we did that, thinking it was going to help this cycle they were in, this problematic car. And, and, and so may, just hear me. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to put new tires on your crappy, beaten down, rusted cycle. I didn't do that. I came to bring something new. I came to replace what you had with something good. But you keep thinking I'm a patch for your brokenness. When I'm not a band-aid for your life, I'm the way of your life. And if you would just let it go, I will let you be in a way that you've never been before. That's a beautiful thing that Jesus tells us. He says, I want to interrupt the momentum of this cycle in your life. I'm here to break it. He's the force that you need to actively resist the cycles in your life, the force that you need to resist the cycles that you see. I love what you're doing in the Haiti community, what you're doing to raise water um, awareness and to build a well in, in Haiti. Do you realize you're not just building a well, but you're transforming a whole community. You're breaking a cycle. You're interrupting the momentum. And if you don't have Jesus to interrupt these cycles, you don't have a lot of things. 
Without Jesus, the cycles continue. Without Jesus, people remain captive. Without Jesus, people insult God with their meaningless rituals. How many of you feel and you know in the bottom of your heart, you've got some meaningless rituals going on? I know I do. Don't be shy. We do, but we have to say, Jesus, this is meaningless to me. I need you to put meaning into it. Change how I feel about it so that I can change the world around me. God, show me. Without Jesus, the people judge and exclude. Without Jesus, you judge and exclude your own self. You need Jesus. It's time for you to call out to him. And I I mean truly calling out. Because like I said, in Mark 2, there were a bunch of religious people sitting right there at his feet. They show up early. They get there first. They can recite the scripture. They can tell you where Jesus came from and where he's going next. But they cannot tell you about his heart. They cannot tell you why he was there. It's meaningless. And Jesus is saying, come to me and call out to me. Like the woman who had the issue of blood. And she reaches out to Jesus for his garment because she knows there's healing in his wings. There's healing in his garment. And she reaches out and she grabs him and he says, you're healed and I'm changing you today. You don't have to know all the rules. You just have to know me. And so we believe that if you call out to Jesus and you resist the cycle, it changes things. And so I want to tell you what I believe the church is positioned to do, what you're positioned to do, that you're uniquely positioned and equipped to respond to needs around you. It's not a trendy fad. It's not a matter of convenience. It's the mandate of the church to break the cycles that shouldn't be. It is our birthright. And you have what it takes to support just water around the world, water that's right and renewed and good. You have the potential to change the cycle of generational sin in your family. You have the possibility to move from what was to what could be. You have what it takes. And the church lives through your daily practice and your influence in Jesus' name. The church is on the move when you are. When you pay attention to the way that water becomes just in our world, it changes lives. When you pay attention to the way that your life changes because of his love, the world changes as a result. When you look at all the things that shouldn't be and you decide to do something about them, you decide to be a voice, you decide to speak out, you decide to say this hot, heavy mess that's disgusting that everyone can smell, it's time to speak into that. When you say that, things change. And let me explain how that works. All of you have a phone, right? Every single person in here. Who doesn't have a phone? Exactly. So you have a phone. And how many of you, you got an upgrade this year. Wait, how many of you didn't get an upgrade in the last two years? Like five or eight. Sorry. Why do you get upgrades? Why? Just tell me. Why do you get upgrades? Just say it. Your phone is junk. You thought the four was awesome until you met the six, right? Preach. Preach it. Do you know why? Do you know why? You know why. How many of you just love computers and coding and all that stuff and you could build Minecraft worlds in your sleep? Yes? You know. Okay. So this is what happens and this is why you get a new phone. Your phone comes with a code and the code goes like this. It's just a straight line and it goes on and on forever and you love it because as soon as you hit the Instagram icon, it works. Thank you, Jesus. Right? (laughs) Wi-Fi. Oh my gosh, it's right there. Boom. It's done because the code works. But thankfully, we have all these apps and all these beautiful things and technology and rap chat and Snapchat. Do you do rap chat here? I just wanted to know, by the way. You don't? Oh my gosh. Okay, so do that. That's super fun. Instant rappers in the room. So you have rap chat and Snapchat and all these things. And what happens is your phone. No, don't download it right now. <laughs> She's making a rap in church. <laughs> I make raps. I'm the worst rapper ever, but I always wanted to be a rapper. So I am now. Anyway. So you have these apps. Listen, this is the point. You can't miss this. So you put these apps on your phone. They're there. 
you keep adding more, and you keep adding more. For every app that you add in computer code, this straight line, you know what happens? Two parallel squiggly lines are represented for every interruption to the code. So when you text someone, there's a little blip. When you add an app, there's a little blip. And what happens? This code goes from being a straight line to being a line that has all these interruptions. And for every interruption, every single place where there's some space, the code becomes harder and harder to restart. That's why your phone is, is junk, because, because you've got all these interruptions to the point where it cannot restart. That's why your computer just decided one day that it hates you and it just didn't want to start again and your whole paper and your life is on there. It doesn't care. It got to a point where it couldn't begin again and this is what Jesus does in us and through us. He completely interrupts the momentum of the cycle and you become the interruptions in the world that need to be there in order for the codes that have been written to be changed. That's what we're here for. That is who we are. You are a divine interruption. Has anyone ever told you that it's a good thing to be an interruption? Interrupt it. Be the divine interruptions that God called you to be by first of all saying, God, break the cycle in me. First of all, God, I cry out to you. I need you. I want you. No one else can make me new like you can. I need you, man. I need you. I need you. And you say it every day. And as he does that, he changes you and he gives you strength and confidence to do stuff that you never thought you could do, including quitting your job and getting paid by a church and being happy and healthy. By the way, I just did that and it was freaky, terrifying. But I know that in making that decision, in that one, like three seconds of bravery that I had, I started a cycle that was supposed to be all along, a cycle that says, Jesus, I depend on you. Youth ministry didn't save me, you did. So I trust in you more. So how does, how does this work? Well, if you think about water and all that you're doing for Haiti, I just want to tell you a few little things about water. When you improve water supply and sanitation and hygiene, 1.5 million children's lives a year could be saved just by doing that in one community. The ripple effect is huge. It changes school attendance. It changes the way girls are treated when they go, get to go to school. It changes how boys are treated when they get to be educated instead of working and walking for water. It reduces death and disease. 90% of deaths in the world are kids under age five. It transforms the entire community through the way of the church. Jesus came to interrupt these cycles, and he can interrupt cycles of poverty, of hate, of war, of racism, of abuse, sexism, legalism, addiction, discrimination, oppression, silence, despair, hunger, thirst, greed. What's your problem? What problem do you see? God is saying to you, cry out to me. Let me break the cycle in your life. Let me heal the wounds you've held on to, and I'll show you the wounds in the world, and I'll show you what to do about them. I believe that you're the church. That justice has always been central to the idea of the people of God. I believe that. And without justice, we can't see the people of God. Because God is just and good. God is love. The church has often unwittingly and unknowingly sold its birthright. Because it it sees that there are other places. Justice is co-opted and translated, translated by so many other places. And those places are not bad. But we've forgotten that the church has the greatest potential to maximize change in the world. We are the most powerful, loving movement in the world. And you don't have to go around it. You don't have to find some other way. You can go through it by knowing him and crying out to him. By joining the prophets Amos and Micah who said, let's pray for justice to roll down like the waters. Like an ever-flowing stream. Let's break the cycle that we see. Their words reverberate and serve as a basis for us to come back to public worship. 
It's not a bad thing to say Jesus breaks my cycle, and it's not a bad thing to believe that he's going to break the cycles we see. The world is always going to try to reduce your voice to a whisper, and maybe it's already been reduced. Maybe someone's already pushed at you, and you decided this isn't worth it. I'm not going to be public about this, but let me tell you this. Jesus is with you. Jesus loves you. He doesn't care about your attitude. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about your apathy. He doesn't care about any fear that you have. What he cares about is that you would cry out and ask for his help and for his strength. He says, I can do anything in you. He says, I can make the biggest strength in your life built on top of your weakness. Who else can do that? So this is my invitation to you this morning, to be able to say, I'm the church. My cycle's been broken by him. I got a new cycle. I got a new phone. In fact, I got a new car. (laughs) And maybe none of those are true for you. But God will give you a new life in a new way. You are the justice movement. You are the church. You are the people that will bring change in this world. Martin Luther King Jr., he had a little thing about change. He believed in it. A lot of other people did too. It was huge. It changed the whole world as we know it. What if the church had that same passion? What if it already exists and it just needs kindling? I feel like the second is true. I feel like it's already in you. I feel like you're going to mess this place up like no one has ever seen. You're going to mess it up in the way that's best, in a way that changes everything, every story that shouldn't be. So you're the church. And I want to ask you as we pray to say, God, I need you. I want you. No one else can make me new. No one else can break the cycle in me. And then God, give me vision. Give me an imagination for all the things that you can do. Like this isn't about me standing up here telling you to do some specific thing. This is about God speaking into your soul and aligning with you in a strategy that will change the world forever. And I believe that he can do it in you. Let's pray. God, I confess all the times that I tried to use you as a patch to my broken life. And I pray that every student in this room would be able to surrender their heart and their life to your goodness, to your peace. That they would move from a conscious desire to love you and serve you to an unconscious belief that you are the one and only living God, that you overcame death in the grave that that was a real thing and that it is available to us every day. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would give courage right now, that you would make people brave. I pray that you would just give them 10 seconds of courage to say, God, I need you. I don't know what it looks like after I say this, God, but I need you. Tell me what to do. Make me new. And I pray, God, that they would not feel oppressed by your love, that some history in the past or some voice or some thing that has taught them that you're oppressive, that that would fade away and break and that they would see a new Jesus, a Jesus who loves and liberates and never lies, never leaves, but is always there. God, would you break the cycle in our lives, whatever it is? Will you give us a vision for this world that you would help us to see the story that was meant to be before it is, and to go after it with all that we have, God. I pray that we would chase after it with reckless abandon because we are the church. We are your kingdom. We are your children. We are brothers and sisters with your son, God. And we praise you that we get that position in life. So this morning, we claim our birthright again. 
God, help us know how to be and to live in the world that you love. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for letting me share with you this morning. Thank you. I think you guys are dismissed, so if you want to hang out with me at Hebrews, I think that's the coffee place around here, I'll be there for a little bit. Okay?